You're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, Kokoroi Hawkins, Tokuima. Coming up. Encouraging the invasion of Solomon Islands to force a regime change, Mr. Speaker, does nothing to strengthen our bilateral relations. Solomon Islands Prime Minister breaks the silence on a security agreement with China. Fiji is uh, grateful to the Nizan government for its assistance to Fiji. Fiji and New Zealand strengthen their bilateral cooperation arrangements and we talk football with only two matches left to determine whether Solomon Islands or New Zealand will get a shot at making the FIFA World Cup in Qatar. The Prime Minister of Solomon Islands, Manasse Songovare, says the Melanesian nation seeks cooperation and understanding concerning its security needs. In a much-anticipated parliamentary address about a security pact with China, Mr Songovari says the Solomon Islands will not forget the assistance of the government and peoples of Australia and New Zealand. He says the long-time partners will remain close in our hearts as partners of choice in difficult times. But he says the two nations need to understand the needs of the Solomon Islands. He says Pacific countries have a collective duty to keep the region safe. And discussions in the Australian public media encouraging the invasion of Solomon Islands to force a regime change, Mr. Speaker, does nothing to strengthen our bilateral relations. When a helpless mouse, Mr. Speaker, is cornered by, a, by vicious cats, Mr. Speaker, it will do anything to survive. Addressing the leaking of the draft MOU with China, Manasse Songovari says it was done by lunatics and agents of foreign regimes, saying they had no regard for secrecy. He says the Solomon Islands finds it insulting to be branded as unfit to manage its sovereign affairs. He says the country's security needs are informed by its national interest to provide a safe, secure nation for all its citizens. In this context, Solomon Islands will seek partnership with friendly foreign governments. This is part of the vision of the national security strategy, especially in maintaining our security needs. But an opposition MP in Solomon Islands says the regional outrage concerning the leaked security pact between Beijing and Honiara is not an overreaction. The chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee and MP for East Areare, Peter Kenilorea Jr., says any security cooperation with a country that has no such arrangements in the Pacific will cause an uproar. He spoke with RNZ Pacific regional correspondent Kelvin Anthony. I think I think the uproar for me is understandable. When it comes to security issues, there are larger implications that come with that, including regional ones that can quickly turn into global ones. So um, when it comes to security pacts with a country that perhaps has no such security uh, pacts in the region, it will cause a bit of an uproar. I can understand where that's coming from. The opposition leader, Mr. Matthew Wale, said that the Prime Minister's action is threatening national security. Do you agree with that? In terms of that, there are very strong feelings on the ground to terms of uh, who our security security partner of choice can be, but definitely who it shouldn't be. This is, this is quite strong uh, feeling on the ground in terms of the kinds of partner we have uh, as a security partner. So there are certain segments in society in, in the Solomons uh, that are very much against um, CCP, Communist China, and they have made that very clear, particularly in the Malaita province, uh, where they have their own communique stating very clearly that they are 
not wanting to do with anything to do with the CCP, even even in development uh, arena. So that will even be more heightened uh, in the security arena. Uh, it has also been said that the, the public's trust in the in the government has been diminishing over time. So what does this do? I think the manner in which um, decisions have been made um, have not been transparent. There was no clear mandate coming out of the last election about all of these very important and um, quite serious moves and implications for the country as well as for the region. So um, people are caught unaware of these kinds of um, serious decisions that are made uh, on their behalf. They were not aware of even during campaign. So as a democratic country, uh, when a government does huge decisions, decisions like like this that has um, implications it'll it'll cause it'll cause a lot of distrust politicians are already not the most trusted folks already to start off with uh, but in the solomons i think it's just has gotten to a new level distrust and the gulf uh, between the government and the people that it's uh, governing has widened considerably processes uh, to which decisions are made have added to that now australia and new zealand have come out and said that this security pact between china and the solomon islands is very concerning and some experts are saying that this is China filling in a vacuum that uh, Australia and New Zealand perhaps cannot uh, fulfill. Do you think that is in, in a manner true or, or is, it, is it an overreaction from Australia and New Zealand? Well, I think, I think when, in, when it comes to Solomon Islands, you know, it is not, it's not an over, overreaction. Uh, they spent millions of dollars in Ramsey to get Solomon Islands back on track on, on something that Solomon Islanders ourselves did. Uh, and that was millions of dollars of their own taxpayers' money. So after that, Solomon Islands signed a security treaty with, with Australia. That security treaty came into effect the first time it was used was last November during the riots that happened. Uh, the government uh, triggered uh, the mechanism for Australia to come in. And, and those, those are already working. But we know that when it comes to the security issue, the arena, uh, spheres of influence, those issues become a big, big part of uh, decisions. And uh, for Solomon Islands experience um, and the amount of money that has been spent over 14 years to get the country back up and, and, um, and to have this kind of a decision made by an untested partner uh, in the region is, is going to be concerning. And uh, I can understand where they're coming from. I always say in development, partners can have a, a hand in the developing a nation in terms of donors. But I think when it comes to security, uh, there's a whole different um, complications that come with your, your partner of choice. Uh, historically, Solomon Islands was never in the non-aligned movement. You know, the NAM, that was a construct of the Cold War. Solomon Islands was always aligned. It was always aligned towards the allies, the victors of World War II, and that was the case. Solomon is one of the few big countries in the region that has never been in the non-aligned movement. The Solomon Islands had, you know, swapped it from, from Taiwan to, to China, and so China was saying that it, that switch is, you know, it's no strings attached. Do you think now it's coming to fruition? Like perhaps the real intention of that suite and what China was expecting? Yeah, you know, I, I was one of those um, persons that was quite cautious, very cautious and warning the government not to rush into switching and think about it properly. I made that um, call not out of just um, a whim, uh, but I've been following China's um, rise, having spent 18 years at the United Nations. And I've seen the aggressive uh, aggression that China uh, has, um, has become, uh, the aggressive power that it has become. Um, ICJ decisions... International Court of Justice are not being followed. Um, even when they go against them, especially in the Scarborough Islands out of Philippines. Uh, that was very clear to me that China uh, was uh, changing to a more aggressive partner. So when we switched, 
um, it was something that I knew was coming. And immediately after we switched, you would have recalled that uh, there was a lease that was signed uh, between the central province and a Chinese company, the Sam Group of China. That was for Tulagi. Tulagi is very strategic to Solomon Islands. It's the first capital of Solomon Islands. The British were there. It's got a deep seaport potential. And that was very clear for me that the intentions right from the start had been about security and strategic moves on the part of China. And um, Solomon Islands, unfortunately, did not perhaps read too deeply into that. Or perhaps, perhaps there were some leaders who knew all about this all along uh, and decided to make a switch and decided to switch allegiances as well and align uh, to a new um, untested uh, partner. After that, we had the $100 billion uh, that was supposed to be um, a deal coming in to, from China to, to Solomon Islands, $100 billion. The Minister of Finance signed off on that. These are big, big issues um, that, for me, point towards a very aggressive China. I wasn't, I wasn't surprised at all in terms of what was happening because uh, I knew that this was coming in the pipeline. Now it's it's just still jarring to see a draft. I mean, while I expected that, for me personally, it was very jarring to read some of the things in the draft and to see how Solomons don't have much of a sway according to that draft. Um, we don't have any protections in terms of uh, what we were getting ourselves into. What needs to be done to make this right? I just really hope that the draft is, is really in draft, still in draft. Because if something is already signed and we've already committed, uh, then it changes the whole dynamic. This is something that I'm, I'm just keeping my fingers crossed that um, the draft wasn't leaked too late. You know, it still is not signed, that uh, we can have a much more clearer discussion. Hearing the responses from the government so far are very simplistic responses and seem to be very naive about the implications of such a treaty, not just for Solomon Islands, for the region uh, and, and the global you know, spheres of influences. That was Solomon Islands opposition MP Peter Keniloria Jr. The Prime Minister of Fiji, Frank Bainimarama, has signed a new partnership statement with New Zealand Foreign Minister Naya Mahuta, who is visiting the Pacific Island nation this week. The Duomata partnership aims to advance collaboration between the two countries in areas of economic development, security and climate change. Speaking shortly after the signing, Frank Bainimarama had this to say about the relationship between the two countries. The Duomata partnership is a landmark uh, achievement in the advancement of Fiji and New Zealand collaboration, which has continued to advance over the years. It also illustrates our shared commitment and vision for regional uh, solidarity. New Zealand has indeed been an important partner and friend to Fiji, and our partnership is the strongest ever. This has been evident through the remarkable support that New Zealand has rendered to Fiji during our greatest moments of need. Fiji is uh, grateful to the New Zealand government for its assistance to Fiji for the national recovery efforts from climate impacts and COVID-19 pandemic. Through the provision of uh, humanitarian, budgetary, uh, budgetary support and life-saving vaccines. This uh, strategic cooperation is timely, as I said, as our region paves its way forward to progressive socio-economic recovery. It will give uh, impetus to our common aspirations on achieving greener, bluer, and resilient uh, recovery, with the interest, of course, of our Pacific people at the heart of it. Foreign Minister Nanaya Mahuta responded in kind. The importance of the Duavata partnership will further consolidate the nature of the way in which we work together. It will anchor 
some of the learnings that we have experienced over the past two years and in relation to our response to a global, uh, a global pandemic, uh, as well as significantly trying to address the ongoing challenge of climate change, we will find ourselves in a new space. But that way of working together will be underpinned by the relationships that we have at a government-to-government -government level, people-to-people -people level, and importantly, as our communities see the benefits of what we're doing across our respective countries and the region. Our correspondent in Fiji, Lide Movono, was able to briefly speak with the minister after the ceremony about other regional issues. Madam, was the Solomon Islands issue on the agenda of your meeting with the Prime Minister? Yeah, we discussed a number of regional issues uh, and uh, it's important to recognise the leadership of the PIF uh, when it comes to regional issues of security. How worried is New Zealand with regards to what's happening in the Solomon Islands? Well, as I've said in New Zealand, uh, if the reports are accurate, uh, then there is concern. So, again, the most important thing right now is to ensure that the region has greater clarity around the intent of those arrangements. And how much more are you expanding your development aid and support to Fiji? And in what areas? Oh, we continue to uh, make our development contributions based on uh, certainly need, but also the long-standing partnerships that we've got, had on certain projects. I think the new area of opportunity will be in the area of climate finance and what we can do to support the long-term resilience of the region and certainly Fiji. New Zealand and Solomon Islands are only two matches away from a spot in the 2022 FIFA Football World Cup Finals in Qatar. The two teams play in the Oceania Confederation Final on Thursday morning New Zealand time in Doha, with both teams enjoying an unbeaten run so far, although Solomon Islands are clearly the underdogs hoping to upset the Kiwis. Joining me is RNZ Pacific sports reporter Vinnie Wiley. Welcome, Vinny. It has been a long journey for all the Pacific teams involved to even get to this point, hasn't it? Yeah, it's uh, obviously COVID-19 has uh, put a bit of a spanner in the works of the qualification process for this World Cup. Uh, Oceania, I think on two or three occasions, had tried to hold a qualifying tournament and then in the end they had to come up with the solution of playing it in Qatar. The fact that the borders you know, have started to relax and open around the world in recent months has certainly helped that process. Um, but we saw as soon as the teams arrived in Doha that firstly Vanuatu and then Cook Islands both had a bunch of COVID cases in their camps. And in the case of Vanuatu, they never played a game. The Cook Islands played against Solomon Islands first up and then couldn't play again. So the kind of um, the, the lingering, I guess, risk or lingering sort of sphere of COVID-19 even now has still sort of played its part in this tournament. So where where are we at now? We've had two thrilling thrilling semi-finals, two finalists, New Zealand and 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 Solomon's, but both of them having to work very hard to get there, Vinny. Yeah, uh, New Zealand obviously come into every Oceania tournament as the raging hot favourites with huge expectation, um, and generally they prevail. Um, but it's not always easy, and I think we've seen in recent years the Pacific nations, the island nations, really um, take a step up and you know close that gap. Uh, Solomon Islands were New Zealand's opponents five years ago in the last round of World Cup qualifying. Uh, and I think it was 8-3 on aggregate to New Zealand over the two legs, a, a two-all draw uh, in Honiara, I believe, for the second leg. Um, so even though the game had been won there, it, you know, it, was, it, it shows that they, they can't win every game. And the, the Solomons team, they're obviously very talented. Rafael Leai especially, who 
was here in Wellington at Scots College for a brief time. And, you know, I think most people would assume is going to become a very good professional player at some point when, um, you know, he's able to take up an opportunity somewhere. Uh, he's scored a hat-trick uh, in one of the group games and scored a wonderful goal against Papua New Guinea in that 3-2 semi-final win in the first match. Um, so there's a lot of talent on both sides. Chris Wood obviously is at Newcastle United in the Premier League for New Zealand. Um, but yeah, it's either team could win this. And I guess what's different this time, Karoy, is that this is a one-off game in the final. Um, in the last qualifying for the previous World Cup in Oceania, it was a home and away tie, which just makes it all that more harder for typically the Pacific Island nations. But, you know, Solomon Islands, you get Rafael Leai on the break in a bit of space. He can do damage. Um, and a few of their players have really, um, you know, lit things up, uh, you know, across the forward line during this tournament. So New Zealand will be nervous. It took a long time for them to break down the Tahitians in that first, uh, that second semi-final. Um, so a one-off game really does raise the possibility of anything being possible. Definitely, yeah. And we, we did, we've heard from the, the coach, New Zealand coach, about just the need to be more clinical there. And um, the Solomon Islands player that we've heard from was talking about trying to stick to their game plan, which is which has been, of course, being a Solomon Islander, I'm quite critical of my own country's team. But I must say that the defense has been better overall. Uh, apart, the attack has always been a, a characteristic of Solomon Islands football, but just the structure and defense and midfield has been a lot better with this team, I feel. Yeah, and the coach, uh, Felipe Arango, Spanish, but he knows this team. He's been with involved with Solomons for a number of years. He was the coach five years ago, went away, came back. Um, and he took a very bold decision to rejuvenate the Solomon's national squad to introduce a bunch of young players. Now, Rafael Leai, those sorts of guys were always going to come through because everybody can see how good they are. But a number of other players and to, and to sort of, I guess, push on some of the more senior players that had been in the team for a long time, but were maybe a bit past it, came under a lot of criticism. Uh, they lost a few games in pre-season against club teams in Australia and the fans were on their backs. And he said, well, no, this is what we had to do to... You know, if the team is going to be successful, we need to bring players through. We need to have the next generation. These guys deserve a chance. And all of that preparation has led them through to this final, this moment. So if he'd played it safe and just gone with the old hands, they probably wouldn't have got to the final. They probably would have been knocked out in the group stage. And all they've done is win. They've played two games in the group stage. Obviously, one got called off. They won them both. They played the semifinal. They won. And now they're through to the final, a one-off game. And uh, whoever wins the final, will then go into a one-off winner-takes-all game to qualify for the FIFA World Cup. So Solomon Islands are two games away from a FIFA World Cup. They've never been closer. And and um, and New Zealand, Vinny, how, how are they looking with this? They've got a lot of depth in, in the squad. I know they were resting players in some of the earlier matches. Uh, they must be must be champing at the bit to get this get this going. Yeah, there's, there's always a risk because the World Cup is on the line, of course, a, a spot in the World Cup. But New Zealand staggered their squad. So the likes of Chris Wood, who's in the Premier League, and, and all of their other top players, uh, Liberato Kakachi, who plays in Serie A in Italy now, uh, they, they weren't available for the first group game that New Zealand played. Um, but, you know, they arrived after that. So now when it's the business end, they've got all their top players available. So uh, when New Zealand had already qualified for the semi-finals, Chris Wood just played off on the bench against New Caledonia. and He only played 10 or so minutes and he scored two goals but they rested him because I guess they've got to have a good relationship with their club sides. Uh, Liberato Kakache, of course, scored the winning goal against Tahiti in the semi-final. So they are making sure that those key players um, are ready to go when it truly matters sort of thing. So clearly in this final, 
Uh, Joe Bell, who plays central midfielder, he plays uh, in Denmark for Bromby. Uh, Chris Wood, of course, uh, those sorts of guys. Libby Kakache, uh, Bill Tuiloma, who plays in the MLS in America. Winston Reid, the captain, who doesn't actually have a club at the moment, but of course was at the World Cup with New Zealand back in 2010 and played for many years in the Premier League for West Ham. Uh, so all of those senior key players, um, they're going to be ready to go. They've rested them. They've, they've timed it for this match. And, um, yeah, they've got huge expectations on themselves. So the, the coach, Danny Hay, um, you know, was a pretty accomplished player in his own right in the Premier League and, and other places. So um, they're quite comfortable with the expectations on this, on this team. And um, But, yeah, Solomon Islands is, I, I think it is the best matchup. You know, you've, you've got quality in some of the other Pacific teams, but the Solomon Islands is just, I'm not trying to sugarcoat it for you either, Karoy as a Solomon Islander, but, there is something special about that team and, and, and the talent and, and the way they play the game. And there's a reason why they tend to get to the finals in recent years alongside New Zealand. So it'll be interesting to see if they can break up New Zealand who have been quite sturdy defensively. And uh, yeah, it'll be an interesting 90 minutes, I'm sure. Pinakabini, that brings us to the end of Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to your own device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. Mode manda.